I'm believing for a rejoicing, a breakout of rejoicing in this room. You know, I don't know what you've come into this um, room today with, circumstances. We're all facing different things, but God knows. And I'm believing for a rejoicing as we break out of this room today. A rejoicing will break out as we realize the new dawn has appeared over our, over our circumstances. So, believe in that. I really am. I uh, had the privilege of speaking in Haven't last week as well, and... Um, I had the privilege today of sharing the same word. I was asked to share the same word that I shared there today with you guys. And I think it's a relevant word. Um, I have the privilege of being around a lot of people and getting to um, spend time with people and get to know people. And sometimes you can start to see like a common hearing of conversation of people dealing with things and circumstances. And actually, it's a, it's a very real situation. And I think this word is relevant. Um, about... Well, I don't know, four weeks ago I was spending time in the Word of God and um, you probably have had this yourself. When you're reading Scripture and you kind of, all of a sudden, a word hits you and you try carrying on reading but you keep going back to that word and it's like God has slapped you and said, go back there. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just crack on because sometimes we just think, I'll just get this read, I'll just get this done. But God is trying to speak to us and often we, we miss it and I just couldn't leave this word. And it was in Romans 5.16 in the Passion Translation. Um, and it says this, and this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than that which was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God. And this is the word, acquitted with the words, not guilty. And as I read that, I kind of felt like that word jumped out at me. It means probably if someone else read it, it'd be like, just go over the head. But it was like God stopped and was like, no, no, this word is important. You need to understand this word, acquitted. Um, and for most of you who know, I'm not great at English. So when words, I'm like, oh, what does that mean, acquitted? Like, what, what is that word? What does it mean? So I had to go and research all of that. Um, so this is what I'm going to be speaking about today, is the word acquitted. But not just the word acquitted, how it's important for us as Christians and how relevant it is to our lives. Um, in a court hearing, when facing trial, you'll often be left with two words spoken over you. You'll either be found not guilty or guilty. Um, not guilty means innocent, and that leads to being acquitted. Guilty leads to being condemned, which means sentenced to a punishment. No one, we don't want that, right? I don't want that for my life. But when you're facing a court sentence, I think every person wants to hear the word acquitted. You know, no one wants to be told guilty because it brings condemnation, which brings punishment of some kind, whatever level it might be. So the word acquitted, it means this, to set free, release or discharge as from an obligation, burden, accusation, to absolve one from an obligation or a liability or to legally certify the innocence of one charged with the crime. That's the word you want to hear if you're in court. You want to know that, oh, I've been absolutely set free, released from it. The word guilty means culpable or responsible for a specified wrongdoing. Now, who here, hands up, ever been guilty of something? Right. If your hand's not up, you're guilty of being a liar, so you might as well put your hand up. Because <laughs> that's the reality, right? We're all guilty. We're born guilty. And uh, so as I started reading this word, I, I, I kind of started wanting to know exactly where this all begins. Where does this start? 
You know, I remember just this quick testimony of standing up in court, unfortunately, many years ago, about 14, 15 years ago, I was arrested for carrying a 10-inch kitchen knife. Um, I was a bit loose in the head. I'm not like that now. You'd be, you'd be glad to know. Um, and I was a bit, a bit mad. And um, prior to that, about two years prior to that, I, I got arrested for carrying a raptor knife, which is like a flick knife, and I put it to someone's throat. And, um, and I put it to someone's throat in open public places, and I was arrested for that as well. But when I got arrested the second time, obviously that was held against me as well. And I remember standing up in court, and I was terrified because I was very naive. I was thinking, you get in trouble for this kind of stuff. But when I was stood there facing this situation, I realized this was real. I thought, oh dear, I am in trouble. And I knew I was guilty. It wasn't like I could, I wasn't, you know, that acquitted wasn't going to come up. I knew it. Not when they held the picture of what I had up as well. And I was stood there like, oh no. And then they used that word that this will bring usually a custodial sentence. And I'm thinking, oh, no. There's me thinking I'll just get a slap on the wrist. I'm thinking I'm going to get sent down now. You know, I was like 18, 19 years old. My mum was standing in the room, and my mum's here now, bless her. I, it, you know, it was an awful situation. I didn't expect it to come, but I was guilty of what I had done. There was no hiding from it. But guiltiness isn't just in that situation. We as human beings have a guilty nature, a guiltiness about who we are. And you say, what? That doesn't make sense. But we're born with it. And the only way we can look at this is looking at Genesis. Right at the beginning, the moment when humanity was created. And in Genesis 3, 6 to 13, I'm going to read the situation, which in bits of it is quite funny, because it's very similar to the world we live in right now. And it says this from verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, and this is the funny bit, I think, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And I think, wow, it's hilarious because there's a, there's a great picture of society right here. You can, you can just read straight through this and think, there's, you know, the Bible's old, it's irrelevant. No, 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 this is very relevant. The first thing I see in verse 6 is that the woman, man, humanity, had a desire for the food and it was pleasing to the eye for the thing and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. You know, we live in a world where desire for things and knowledge is at a high. People want knowledge. If only I can know. Not, not God, knowledge. You know, there's people right out in the universe right now sending all kinds of stuff out to try and get knowledge of what's out there. Knowledge and information. If only I can get more knowledge about what this is. This is a trait of the first Adam. A desire for knowledge. A desire for understanding. A desire for things. Ooh, things. If only I can have a new thing. If only I can have things. Things are okay, but it's this desire, this innate desire for things. And then the second thing in verse 7 is desire to cover up. 
We've all been here, right? Come on, I'm not the only one who's desired to cover up when a situation's gone wrong. You think, oh, no. You know, back before I was saved, it was like my life was trying to cover up every, like, every day. I was trying to cover up, oh, no, what have I done here? I've got to try and cover this situation up, cover this situation up. What did Adam and Eve do? The minute that guilt entered into them, they realized and they covered themselves. They tried to cover up what they had done. They tried to cover it, but God can see through all of this. We may be able to cover it up from people, but not from God. God sees everything. And the third thing, which is the funny thing, I think, is the blame culture. My children are funny with this, and I call it the blame game. Like, you go in a room, and it's chaos. You think, what's happened? I've just, you know, I've just tidied. Paul has just tidied the room. I've helped a little bit. I've kind of stood there and monitored. Good job. Great job. But I'm not. I'm a good husband. I promise. And... Uh, and so you go into the room, and it's like, I don't know what's happened. It's like kicked off, and you think, oh, my day. But the blame game begins. Who did it? She did it. He did it. And Jerry, little Jeremiah stood there. Like, he can't. He's just, it wasn't me. And they're both picking on him. It's him. And it's like the blame game. But, you know, we can look and think, you know, you could get frustrated by this and go, oh, how, why are they like this? Well, the reason they're like this is because it's in the innate DNA of who we are. We were born from the seed of Adam. You can't be different from that. So this ability to be different isn't there in our strength, in our own nature. You know, the characteristics are in every human being because we've been born with that same DNA. You know, when we see a criminal, you know, often we think criminal, I'm nothing like that. We may do it, but when you see a criminal, to give an example, what they often do is running away from a situation, they're trying to cover up what they've done, and then they're blaming someone else for it. You know, Oh, I didn't do it, police officer. No, it was so-and-so. And it's this innate DNA within us that desires when things go wrong, we seem to try and cover up and blame. It's just guilt. It's the guilt of who we are. It's within us. You know, children do it. They haven't learnt that. It's just there. I'm seeing it in my children. My children are the only ones that do that, right? No? No, glad. I was worried then. I was thinking, oh, everyone's children are brilliant. Perfect. But my children do this, and I'm not teaching them it. Kids, this is how we cover up situations. That would be bad parenting. It's just the fact that they do it because it's like they don't want to be in trouble because there's guilt there and they're like, oh, I've, I've done wrong. Classic example was me and my son Jeremiah. I must have said a thousand times, don't jump off the sofa. Don't jump off the sofa, it will cause an accident. Don't jump off the sofa. Then you hear, smash, oh, broke his leg. And I'm like, oh. But then there's this cover-up of what happened because we went in the room, what's happened? Oh, and it's this long story that makes no sense about what happened. And I'm like really? That sounds incredible. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure what you've done is all jumped on each other and our legs broken. But no, what happened was he fell over there. Then we weren't in the room at that point. Came in, you know, oh, it's blame. It's this ability to try and cover up and blame. Come on, we're all culpable. We all are, we've all done it, right? We've all done it in our lives. You know, humanity itself is born into bondage and separated from God. We are born with this guilty nature and a conscience. Now, Adam was able to hear from God in normality. Just a normal part of his everyday life, he was able to hear from God. He walked with God. He talked with God. He spoke with God. He had a conversation with God. He had a relationship with him. But all of this stopped when he chose to follow his way over God's way. The moment they desired the thing, whatever it might be, and knowledge and wisdom and to be like God, the moment that happened... They were separated from God. And what happened? The Bible says death entered into humanity. Death enters into our heart. 
And from that point onwards, the world has been falling and falling and falling and falling away in the natural to the point where we look at our society today and it's broken, right? You cannot look at this world today and say, oh, it's brilliant. It's a beautiful place. There are bits of it that are, but there's a brokenness in society. There's a broken part of who we are. And we live in a world that wants, to, wants its own way over God's way. And that's okay, it's the nature of Adam, right? If you don't want God, you're going to choose the way that you know, and that's the way of choosing Adam. You know, when you go through schools, like here, there's, a, there's no desire for God. You know, education is going further and further away from the things of God. Society doesn't want to know God. They, they, they're offended by the name of God. They want to go in a different way. What's this? It's the nature of Adam. It's the nature of choosing self over God. And we're all guilty in some ways of this. But what about those who follow, what about us in a room who follow Christ? Well, there's an incredible thing, and I call this the innocence plea. You know, we're talking about courtroom drama like right here. We're talking about, um, you know, being acquitted, learning about why we are guilty. But then there's this moment where an innocence plea comes in, and we can find it in the Gospels, in each of them, when Jesus is hung on that cross. Matthew 27, 45 to 54 says this, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus called out in a loud voice. I'm no good at the old Hebrew or Greek, sorry. Eli, Eli, lemma shabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tomb broke open. And the bodies of those people, um, body of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came to the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding... Uh, Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened and they were terrified and exclaimed surely he was the son of God this is the most incredible moment in humanity in this moment right here is when everything changes everything changes for us that believe this moment in scripture is what all scriptures pointed to the moment in history is what the prophets were seeing but couldn't touch they were prophesying about this messiah this one that would come and save them and how frustrating it must have been that they could see it They could hear what God was saying, but they couldn't touch it. They just didn't know when it was going to come, when he was going to come. This is the moment Jesus laid down his life so that whoever believes would have eternal life. This was the plan of God. The moment Adam chose to follow his own way instead of God's, the moment that mistake happened, that failure happened, God already had a plan to send his son to be a sacrifice for us all. And so this is incredible news, not, not, not just okay news. This is good, good, good news for everyone who belongs to Christ. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, we've got to get excited about that. Saved means set free, delivered. Delivered completely. And saved from what as well? Brutally honest, it's hell and eternal separation. We've been saved from an eternal separation from our Heavenly Father. We've got to get that into context because sometimes we just blasé think about things. But the world is separate from God. doesn't know him. 
We have the privilege of knowing him because of what Jesus done. But also, we're saved from condemnation and guilt that comes from a living according to the first Adam. Romans 5, 18-19 says this, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just through the obedience of the one man, many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. I love this. Because it's not on us. It's not on you. You know, religion will tell you how to get better to be close to God. This isn't about you. This is about Jesus. This is about what he has done. You know, when I was living according to the first Adam, I didn't wake up and have to try and be naughty. I just was. I didn't have to act guilty. I just was. You know, I didn't have to do this trying to do it because it was the innate part of who I was. But those that are now in Christ, righteousness is yours, which means you don't have to try. You are. Come on, you are what God says you are. What does righteousness mean? It means standing right before God. Not trying to act right in your own strength. It means standing before your heavenly Father completely right. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Not will, not maybe if you're good, but has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ah, this is great news. We've been transferred from the old life into the new life, a new way of living, not in darkness, but in light. Redeemed and forgiven. These are all great words. Redeemed means what? Brought back. Brought back. You were once separated from God, distant from God. I'm so, so thankful. My life, if only I could like drag some people there just to see how messed up it was. I was broken. I was a depressed man. I, you know, I said about my court case, about two months later, I jumped out of a, of a bedroom window, broken and despair just to end my life because I couldn't handle my life anymore. I was such a mess. Yet God redeemed that. Because he's a redeemer and my redeemer lives. Nothing's too broken. Nothing's too messy. Nothing's too much trouble for your heavenly father. He is more than able. 2 Corinthians 5.17. A very well-known verse, but very important. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old's gone. The new is here. I don't know if you woke up this morning and felt like the old was here, but it's not. The new is here. The new creation, the new you, everything has been made new in Christ. Sometimes we want to see it physically, but you've got to trust by faith. It's not like you looked in the mirror and was like, whoa, who's that person? It certainly didn't happen with me. It was like, oh, it's you again. But do you know what? I felt new on the inside. I remember walking out of this very room 13 years ago, and I came in tracksuit boy, chavvy, like, ooey, ooey. and I was a mess, you know what I mean? I was, I was just confused in my mind, and, but I just desperately wanted God, even though I didn't really know of him, and I remember raising my hand and putting my faith in him, and I walked out that day with peace, like I can't explain. I didn't go to a doctor and get medication, I'm not saying any of that's wrong, I'm just saying that God does something that no man can do. He brings new creation from the very inner part of who you are, He brings the dead things back to life and gives you a new spirit. And you become alive. Alive to him. 
Romans 8, 1 to 4 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, who, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is awesome. There is therefore now, there's no condemnation, guilt, to be condemned, punishment. There's none of that in Christ. There was in the first Adam because we were living according to the law. And living according to the law will only bring death. But live according to the Spirit brings life and peace. And so as Christians, you know, what is a Christian? A disciple, a follower of Christ. Not a religious term. Christians are like candles and walking a certain... That's not a Christian. A Christian is a follower of Christ. Take the religiosity out of the way for a moment. It's not about some religion. It's about knowing God. It's about growing closer to God every day. This is what being a Christian is. A disciple of Christ. Following Christ every day. What a privilege that you get to wake. I woke up this morning... And the first thing, I was like, I just, it, I was, it was quiet, and I just was like, good morning, God. I was like, what a privilege that we get to say good morning, God, just like the first Adam did. In the cool of the day, wherever you might be, you get to communicate with your heavenly Father. This is a great privilege. But I want to bring this into the picture that actually God gave me. When I had this word, I, I, I wanted to study the background, like the guilt, but actually in Christ, there isn't guilt. But I... I wanted to look, really the picture what God gave me was this court case picture of different characters within this courtroom setting. And I want to try and bring clarity to this picture because I believe God wants to set people free. I believe there'll be people here in bondage when you don't even realise it. You're being held and you don't even know it. And the picture I, I, want, I want to share is some characters. Because the reality is, as Christians, we still can feel condemned. We can still feel beaten up. Hands up. We feel sometimes that you feel frustrated in yourself and you think, why am I being held here? Why has this happened? Or you feel guilty and upset about a situation or you, you feel like it's too much. I've done too much. It's all gone wrong. I can't do this anymore. This heaviness that comes. Why is that there still if I'm a Christian? And this picture, I think, will hopefully bring clarity and in a court, as I said, there's some key figures, and I want to take a, a look at them. So um, within the court, there is a prosecution, a defense, a judge, and a defendant. And the first one I want to look at is the judge. What is a judge? He's an overseer of the trial and makes sure everyone involved is given the opportunity to present their case fairly. I love this. Because, yes, we have a heavenly father, but he's seen as judge. God has many characteristics in the Bible. You see him as provider, as healer. He's also a judge, and he's a fair judge. Genesis 18.25, Abraham is talking to God, and he says this, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? See, Abraham knew he was a fair, man, a fair God, a judge, who wouldn't treat evil with good alike. And he spoke to him as this, God is the judge of all the earth. Psalms 50, 4-6. This will not appear up here, but it says, He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me. 
by, by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. He's judge. Not us. Not any of the other people in the courtroom. He is judge. God is judge. Isaiah 30, 22, For the Lord is judge, or is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. 2 Timothy 4, 8, even the Apostle Paul speaks of him as this. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. God is our righteous judge. So just for a moment here, picture with me that there is a court and there is a judge at the front. And he's our heavenly father. He's God, king of kings, lord of lords, the one who created it all, is judge over everything here. Then comes the prosecutor. We can call him Satan, the enemy, the devil. What is a prosecutor? They present evidence to show how the offence happened and challenge the defendant's evidence given. And so in this, in this case, the prosecution um, for the Christian is Satan. Revelation 12.10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of, of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Wow, what a snake accusing day and night, accusing day and night before God of everything that we get wrong. That's what he is. That's what he does. He comes to what? Still kill and destroy. He doesn't come to do anything good for you, but he stands accusing you. And sometimes we can hear that accusation in our mind when we get things wrong. You know, I'm not going to ask to put hands up, but we, you, know, you can agree with me. We hear that accusation of our failures. He loves it, and he loves to jump on it when we get things wrong. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He is he's a joke, right? He's actually looking for people to devour. He wants to go around to try and see who he can trip up. And the reality is, he ain't got a problem with the world because they're all on his side. He's going to try and trip up Christians. He's going to try and trip up people that are following God because he's an accuser of the brethren. I'm not going to accuse the world. What point is that? Because they're already on his side. His agenda is to cause you to live less than what you've been given and promised. And he wants to bring condemnation into your life, so he accuses your mind. So that's the reality here. So we have a judge, our heavenly father, and I want you to grab this picture. And then we have a prosecutor that stands there like a roaring lion, which is scary, right? The thought of it is scary. I'm thinking, whoa, roaring lion in the room with me. No thanks. But actually... This is a great picture now coming in, which is our defense lawyer. We call him Jesus, the defender of the weak. A defense lawyer will speak on behalf of the defendant and present the case to say what they're not guilty of, the offense. And I love this because Psalm 91, the whole of Psalm 91 is incredible, but just I'm going to pick a few bits. One to two says this, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And in verse 14, it says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. You know, the Lord is our defender. He's our fortress. He's our strength. He's the one stood by your side. And in a minute, we're going to look at um, the woman caught in adultery, because I think this great, great, creates a great picture of what I'm trying to explain. But then we also have the defendant, which is us. So here we have our prosecution. We have the judge. We have 
our defence lawyer, and then we have silly old us stood in that dock, just looking helpless, looking a mess, often beating ourselves up in our mind. Maybe if I did it right. Maybe if I chose to say that. Maybe if I didn't react that way to the children. Maybe, maybe, maybe if I hadn't done that. And then guilt has entered in. Condemnation has entered in. You're beating yourself up because you have failed in your own sight. And then before you know it, condemnation is dragging you down and making you feel more and more guilty and ashamed of the things that you've done or got wrong. Maybe you chose to do something and you know it wasn't of God. Maybe you chose to watch something and you know it didn't lead you in the right way. Maybe in your thought life, or maybe you feel tempted in an area of substance that you know every time you do it, oh, I've done it again, God. And you feel one bit further away from God and one bit closer to condemnation and guilt. Whatever it is you're facing, we stand being accused by the enemy. It could be something little, it could be something massive. But I want to paint this incredible picture because though we're stood helpless almost in our own sight, we have this incredible defence lawyer on our side. And I want to just paint this picture in John 8, 2 and 11. And it's the woman caught in adultery. And it says this, At dawn appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. I mean, this is an incredible picture of an accuser bringing in someone and making a stand before a group of people. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they were using these questions as a trap to order, um, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who, were, who heard began to go away one at a time. The old ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, who are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now, leave your life of sin. This is a beautiful picture of the accuser trying to accuse you of everything you've got wrong. You know, this is a very real moment where this woman was probably petrified of what was about to happen. Could you imagine being taken like that into a room where you know you're about to be stoned according to the book of um, the law? Yet... Jesus, the defender of the weak, stands in the gap and he brings righteousness and justice into her life in a moment. What was meant to be used as a place of harm was to be used for good. And this woman left never the same again. He's our defence. We're not defending ourselves. So there comes this moment in our life which is a verdict where something will be spoken over you. Like I said, guilty, not guilty. And just like this woman, we can be stood, ready for our Heavenly Father to give a verdict of condemnation because we feel that's right for us. We feel that that should be what we should be getting because I keep making the same mistake. I keep getting it wrong. I keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And we feel like it's time, Heavenly Father, yeah, condemn me. Bring me to a place of condemnation. And I see this beautiful picture of God looking at us, the accuser doing his thing with the roaring and the, yeah, yeah, look, he's done it again, he's done it again, and us feeling beaten. And then when we think judgment's coming upon us, 
Jesus, the mediator between God and man, which 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, stands in front of us and lifts his pierced hands and looks at the Father. And I just see this incredible picture of us feeling helpless, but Jesus stepping across and lifting his hands And the pierced hands are a sign of what he did for you. And the blood of him is on you. And in that moment, your heavenly father looks at you, not in anger, but with a smile of love because of what you've put your faith in. He declares not guilty. The verdict over your life this morning is not guilty. No condemnation. Not only does this happen, but he convicts you of something. You know, conviction is usually, oh great, I've been convicted. Do you know what he convicts you of? Righteousness. He stands and he hammers the convicted of righteousness before me. Right standing because of the sacrifice of my son. Not only does he say that, he then looks at you and says, who my son sets free is free indeed. And he declares freedom. And the enemy stood there going, what? How dare he? Because it's not about you. Righteousness doesn't come from right standing because of what you've done. It comes because you put your faith in the Son of God who died for you, loved you, and gave his life so that you could have redemption and freedom brought at a price. His blood upon you means freedom, redemption. Come on, get excited about this today. You are free. There's that beautiful verse as well. I just feel God singing this over us in Psalms 103, verse 11 to 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the heavens is from the, east, from, from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's removed them. You've got to understand this morning, you are not guilty. There are penalties to pay when we do things wrong in the natural But before God, you will always be right because of the sacrifice of Jesus when you put your faith in him. You may make mistakes, you may fall, you may say the wrong thing, but there is always forgiveness in God. There is always redemption. There is always his love and mercy. God is the one that will make a way. Come on, the enemy wants to beat you in a corner. He wants to make you feel like it's done. It's too late. There's nothing that can't be forgiven. There's nothing that you can't be free from. And again, I'm going to speak this scripture again, Romans 8, 5 and 6. Those who live according to the flesh, no, let me read it from here, sorry. In Romans 5, 16, it says, This free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than that which was given through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence. Without Christ, you were stood in the dock of life facing that death sentence. With a verdict of guilty. But the gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God. I love it because it mentions many failures. I don't know about you, but there's many failures to my life. I make mistakes. Not that I want to, I don't practice them, but as a human being, reactions. When you've got small children, sometimes you don't always react like a Christian. They can like grind on you and you go, stop it. Or you might say something, and it's like, oh, I've done it again. But actually, do you know what? There's a forgiveness. Don't hold yourself in a place of guilt and condemnation because you made one bad mistake or you thought the wrong thing or you chose to do something that you know wasn't right. Don't let the enemy get a foothold in your life like that. Speak the blood of Jesus over your life. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Because God is speaking over you this morning the words acquitted, not guilty. 
He opens the door for you to live the rest of your life, not to be held in bondage. And Romans 8, I'm going to finish on this scripture. Romans 8, 5 to 6 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Remember what Eve did in that story? She had her mind set on things of the flesh. She wanted the natural. But those who live according to what, with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Come on, to live according to, we need to live according to the new man, the new creation of who we are. Not the old way of living. There's two paths here. We live according to the flesh which leads to death, which is the old Adam, the old way of thinking, carnal thinking, carnal decisions. No, 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 no. We have had a door opened up to us that no man can open other than him himself. And that's a life living according to the Spirit, which according to my Bible says that that means life and peace for you today. Depression gone in Jesus' name. I'm speaking that and believing it because I saw it in my own life. I saw a broken mess being completely delivered and having life and peace in an area where there was no life and peace. Not because I did something in the natural, but because I chose to put my faith in a supernatural God that 2,000 years ago died on a cross so that every person can be forgiven. Past, present and future sins covered by the blood of Jesus. Not that I want to carry on sinning, but they're covered by the blood of Jesus. And you may be here today and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know Jesus. You are stood in the dock of life thinking, I'm condemned to life. I'm I'm condemned to death. I have no life left in me. Well, the free gift of God was his son, and it was free. It doesn't cost you anything today to put your faith in Jesus. You know, when I came in here with my tracksuit, I didn't have anything. Even if you wanted to have anything, I was just Mr. Me. I was just a mess. I had a load of problems. I didn't certainly have anything to give to God or offer to God. I saw myself as completely broken, but I reached out to him, and he changed my world forever and he can do that with you this morning and maybe today you're suffering with guilt condemnation maybe even today you struggled coming here because you just felt I can't be in the presence of God I've done too much wrong I just believe the enemy for too long has been cornering you and he wants to break you out of that corner God wants to break you out of that corner so you can run into your life the life that he has for you and I see it like a big open field You were once caged in a small little fence, but God wants to break that fence down and cause you to run into a field full of all the things he has for you. It's time to get out of that guilt and condemnation mindset and see what God's going to do. So we're going to pray two things, if that's okay. We're going to first pray for anyone that doesn't know God, doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Maybe you are living in that world of guilt and condemnation. And I'm going to pray and we're going to pray together and that you're going to receive Jesus as your saviour and your life will never be the same again. And then after that, we're going to pray for anyone else that may be suffering, that God will just release you. Okay, so let's just close our eyes and you can repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. I believe in you, Jesus that you take my guilt away. I receive righteousness, redemption, 
and complete forgiveness of all my sins. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Well, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you've prayed that for the first time today and you know you want to come into relationship with Jesus, the time is now, then I want you to do one thing and that's just put your hand up so I can pray for you. Is there anyone here today that you want to come into relationship with Jesus and have your life completely transformed? You can just raise your hand so I can see. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Father, I thank you for every life here. I pray a release of your spirit, Father. Just completely saturate every person. Fill them from the inside, Lord. And why don't we just stand And uh, as I pray this last prayer. Maybe today you've come here and you're like, actually, yeah, Sean, I get that, that guilt. I'm constantly battling it. This feeling of condemnation or guilt or, or it ridicules me. It makes me feel like I can't live my life because I'm being held constantly by the past. Past failures, past mistakes. You know what? You can never change the past. You can only trust God for the future and walk in all he has for you. But if you are being held... Why don't you just go and raise your hands for me, if that's you. You know, inside your heart, you're struggling with certain things and situations, circumstances. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray a release right now. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Holy Spirit, I pray a touch on every believer right now. There is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Father, I thank you that you release condemnation away from people and you release your peace to them, Father, right now. Freedom declared in this place. Where there have been chains, we pray they be broken off in Jesus' name. Where there has been guilt, we pray it released and justification released in people's eyes, Father, that they would believe and trust in you. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would touch every heart and cause every heart to come closer towards you. Let the shame of our past be removed by your blood. Every sin has been forgiven. Every transgression blotted out. Let it echo deep within us who the Son has set free. We are free indeed. Today, liberty is in this place. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you.